Hey, it's Mercedes, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. A stunning resignation. Canada's Governor General steps down. How did it come to this? Vaccine vexation. Canadian anxiety over the delayed and decreased delivery of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Anger in Alberta over Keystone XL and the Premier who wants a trade war. President Biden takes office, the dawning of a new era and what it means for Canada. An extraordinary week in politics. For the first time in this country's history, our head of state, the Governor General Julie Payette, resigned in the wake of a scathing report about workplace harassment at Rideau Hall. Meanwhile, south of the border, President Biden was sworn in and took office, bringing hope for many, but destroying Alberta's Keystone XL pipeline dreams with the stroke of his pen on his first day in office. It has Alberta demanding retribution. Premier Jason Kenney will be on the show to talk about that and will also be sitting down with the United States' most senior diplomat in Canada, Catherine Brucker. But first, Canada's vaccine slowdown keeps getting worse. Zero doses will arrive next week in the country, and only half of the promised doses for the first two weeks of February will then be delivered. Is Canada falling behind other countries for the golden ticket for a return to normalcy? And what is the Liberal government prepared to do about it? Joining us now is Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Thank you so much for joining us, Minister. Uh, Before we talk about vaccines, I want to start with what was absolutely the most stunning news of the week, the resignation of the Governor-General of Canada in disgrace after uh, a report on workplace harassment. You were stick-handling this file. When did you first become aware of what was in the report? So, uh, Mercedes, we first uh, heard of the allegations around uh, an inappropriate workplace when they were came to the attention of Canadians in the media last summer. We quickly uh, hired an outside group of experts to do an independent review of the workplace. Uh, It's a a group with a national reputation in this kind of difficult work. Um, They completed that report and we received it uh, at the end of last week. So uh, sort of 10 days ago, Um, I reviewed it uh, over the weekend uh, and uh, the prime minister also saw it. There were conversations with the governor general Last Tuesday, last Wednesday, she spoke with the Prime Minister, and on Thursday, she decided to offer her resignation, uh, which we thought was in the best interest of the institution and of the country, and allows the employees of Rideau Hall uh, to have uh, an appropriate workplace, uh, and it allows uh, a renewal of the leadership at this important institution. Will the former Governor General keep her pension and all of the other perks that Governor Generals typically get when they leave office? So uh, the pension, Mercedes, is a function of, of, of law. It's in, a, it's in a statute. It's actually in a law that prescribes a, a retirement allowance that's payable to former governors general that have held the post. So she is entitled by operation of law to that particular uh, benefit. Um, the other benefits are obviously subject to the normal Treasury Board process um, and, and we think Canadians expect a high degree of transparency and rigor with respect to any of these benefits. So the Treasury Board will continue uh, to look at what's appropriate. But the retirement allowance is prescribed by law. 
uh, and that uh, that's uh, exactly what she'll receive. Well, speaking of transparency, one of the costs we really can't see are the costs of governor generals. We can find out for public officials such as yourself, but the average Canadian doesn't have transparency on that. There wasn't a lot of transparency on your vetting process with Julie Payette either. People are saying there were things in her past that were strong indicators. She was not an appropriate candidate for the job. Do you feel that you owe the employees of Rideau Hall an apology for what's happened or for having not done a better job of looking into this candidate? So we recognize, Mercedes, that this is clearly not an ideal circumstance. The vetting process that was done, there's always a vetting process that's done when somebody receives a, a federal appointment, and clearly one of the most senior appointments being the Office of Governor General. Uh, this process can be improved. It can be strengthened. We've already had conversations with the officials that typically do this kind of work to ensure that anything going forward the vetting process is strengthened, is reinforced. Uh, we have enormous respect for the women and men who work at Rideau Hall, some of whom I got to know when my father was lucky enough to have that job 25 years ago. And some of the people are still working there now and have served Canadians and served five, six, seven governors general. Without exception, these were and are extraordinary people. They were so kind to my father when he was there. So we want to make sure these people have a safe, a healthy and respectful workplace. And that's exactly what we've done. On vaccines to change gears here, the other big story of the week last week and really the big story of the week heading into this week is we're getting zero doses for the first time since the vaccine started arriving. I know Prime Minister Trudeau spoke with the CEO of Pfizer. What did he say to him? We obviously impressed upon the global CEO of Pfizer uh, the expectation that Canadians have of having access as quickly as possible to the most significant quantity possible of vaccines. That's what's uh, provided for in the contract. Uh, the CEO confirmed the company's undertaking that all of the doses that will be reduced will be made up uh, in the end of February and into uh, into the weeks in March. We'll receive by the end of March 4 million doses of Pfizer and 2 million doses of Moderna. That is what had been planned. The Moderna doses continue to arrive the first week of February and the third week of February. Uh, that's the delivery schedule that we've worked out with Moderna. But this is, look, this is far from, uh, again, far from a circumstance that we would have we would have wanted. It's also not totally unexpected. Uh, we were always told by experts that the global supply chains necessary for this kind of massive biomanufacturing can often have some interruptions. In this case, the factory in Belgium, which is producing the vaccines, is retooling to scale up to 2 billion a year instead of 1.3 billion doses at that one facility. So that's good for the world, but it's not good for Canada for the next few weeks. And we'll work with uh, provincial and territorial officials to make up uh, for the reduction over the next few weeks. But we're still on track uh, for the April to June period and into the summer uh, to make sure that every Canadian who wants to be vaccinated will be. And I understand you're on track for that, but with all due respect, Minister, it's a matter of great urgency because people are getting sick now. They're dying now. The spread is now. There's concern. It becomes exponential. And it seems that some European countries were able to talk to Pfizer and accelerate their delivery schedule despite the delay. Why do you think Canada has not been able to achieve that same benchmark? 
So, as I say, we we recognize the urgency. We don't in any way diminish uh, what a one-day delay represents in terms of being able to protect Canadians. So that is a priority that we continue to work on day and night. Um, Pfizer made some decisions around different European countries. I read a media report where Pfizer officials said they looked at uh, particularly devastating circumstances in some countries. Uh, we think the circumstance in Canada is extraordinarily compelling uh, to receive those vaccines. But Mercedes, we're not going to stop working to get more vaccines as fast as we can. We're very hopeful that in the coming weeks, other vaccines may be approved by Health Canada as safe for use, AstraZeneca, perhaps Johnson & Johnson thereafter. The more options we have for Canadians and the more the, the number of different suppliers, obviously we can hedge against this kind of delay. So we're very much uh, pursuing all of those options. Does, as does that mean, Minister, that... To get, to, to get those vaccines in Canada. Does that mean you might be able to secure extra Moderna doses? Uh, the Moderna doses for the month of February and March are already confirmed, as I say. But could we, you get could you get more of them, I guess, is what I'm wondering? We're talking to Moderna all the time about whether they can bring forward some doses that may be coming in April. Could we get them in March? Some of the ones that were coming in March, could we get them in February? So those conversations are ongoing literally on a daily basis. Uh, but for the moment, we're on track to have two million doses of Moderna by the end of March. But Mercedes, believe me, if there's ever an opportunity to accelerate some of the huge quantities that we're going to get in April and May and June, if any of them can be brought forward, obviously that would be something that would be immensely beneficial to Canadians. Minister LeBlanc, that's all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on the program, Mercedes. Have a great day. President Biden is no fan of the Keystone XL pipeline, and he fulfilled his campaign promise to cancel it on day one in office. That sparked outrage in Alberta that a pipeline already under construction and that the provincial government had invested roughly $1.5 billion in vanished in a second. In a heated call with the prime minister, some premiers say they want war. And Premier Jason Kenney is calling for trade sanctions against the United States. Meanwhile, the federal government says that they're disappointed, but it's time to move on. Premier Jason Kenney joins me to discuss Alberta's strategy now. Thank you for joining us, Premier. How are you this morning? All right. Thanks very much, Mercedes. Uh, Premier, you've said that you want trade sanctions against the United States for the cancelling of the Keystone XL pipeline. You're ready to go to war over this. Why do you feel that such an aggressive approach is the correct one? We have to stand up for Canada's vital economic interest for Canadian jobs. Just like when Donald Trump ran on a commitment to tear up NAFTA and to impose tariffs on our steel uh, exports, we didn't say that was his campaign commitment, we accept it, let's move on. Our federal government, quite rightly, with Alberta's support, fought back to renegotiate NAFTA and to impose countervailing tariffs uh, in response to their action on steel. That's what Canadians expect of a national government. And what's happened here, first of all, I congratulate President Biden on, on his election and his inauguration. We wish, wish his administration every success. We have to maintain the closeness of our alliance and friendship with the U.S., but it's a very bad starting point for that administration to have canceled without even giving Canada the respect to let us make our case. They have retroactively withdrawn approval. 
for a pipeline crossing that already exists, which violates the investor protection provisions of NAFTA. And if we don't respond strongly, it creates a dangerous precedent, Mercedes, for U.S. activists that are trying to decommission many other Canadian pipelines to the U.S. are the largest Part of our economy is the energy sector. The largest Canadian export to any part of the world is the oil that we sell the U.S. nearly $100 billion a year. Hundreds of thousands of jobs depend on it. We need to stand up for those workers. In fairness on tariffs, that, that was a sort of bizarre, punitive thing Trump did under a national security prerogative versus an election promise. Are you concerned that bringing in uh, sanctions against the United States couldn't trigger a much broader trade war in which Canada suffers significantly? We're a much smaller economy. Look, we didn't start this dispute. It was the president who, on day one, decided to show disrespect for the America's closest friend and ally, not even allowing us to get in front of his administration to make the case about how we can uh, have safe, modern infrastructure to strengthen North American energy independence within the context of environmental policy and climate action. Uh, we just wanted the chance to make that case. They wouldn't even let us do so. but. Uh, uh, that you know, the, President Trump did pledge, of course, to impose tariffs to protect U.S. steel, and he went ahead and did it. We responded. He pledged. He he ran every day for 18 months on a, a pledge to rip up NAFTA. We did not accept that. And what's happened now is that key provisions from NAFTA that we defended in the negotiations, like the investor protection provisions, have been clearly violated by the decision. Canadian company, TC Energy, supported over the past year by the Alberta government, has invested significantly in that critical piece of infrastructure based on U.S. legal approval and regulatory approval. A close friend and ally doesn't just rip up approval like that and cause a multi-billion dollar loss without uh, at least offering compensation uh, and without our own national government responding in a meaningful way. Uh, there are some legal experts who think that you'd have a better off chance of getting the money back from the company rather than from the United States. But I do want to ask you, as an investor in the pipeline, the Alberta government put about $1.5 billion in, I believe. How much money are you losing as a result of this? And do you regret deciding to put that much money into something that you knew could be cancelled by a presidential directive? I think any responsible Alberta government would have made the same decision. If we had not uh, supported the construction of uh, Keystone over this past year, it never, it, it would have, the whole question would have been academic. The, the company uh, would not have proceeded. So our government was elected with a huge mandate from Albertans to fight for pipelines, to get pipelines built. And obviously we are pushing back against a highly coordinated and well-funded uh, campaign to landlock Canadian energy, which is our largest export uh, in the world. And so I make no apologies for taking every reasonable measure to get pipelines built. The federal government spent $7 billion so far on Trans Mountain. Um, and uh, what we've done is to help to create thousands of jobs, at least over the past year, during the COVID recession. Uh, in terms of the total calculation of our exposure, we, we don't yet know. We're going to have to work out all of that with TC Energy. But right now, we continue to ask through Ottawa that the Biden administration take a half step back and give Canada the respect to uh, reopen this issue 
in the context of North American energy and env environmental policy. Because, you, you know, uh, Mercedes, uh, nearly 70% of Americans support this pipeline. First Nations are signed up to have equity partnerships. The major U.S. construction unions strongly support it. All of the state governments along the route strongly support it. And if they don't procure this energy from a democratic ally with high environmental standards like Canada, they're going to have to buy it from OPEC dictatorships. That's not good for the U.S. It's not good for the world. Premier Kenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, thanks, Mercedes. Joe Biden's presidency is the dawning of a new era for the United States and the world, a country that has been torn by political division just two weeks after an insurrection at the Capitol now has a new president in Joe Biden. That means a more stable and possibly better relationship with Canada, given the friendship between Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau, but on day one, Biden took a tough stance against Canadian interests, cancelling the Keystone XL pipeline. Should Canada be worried about an increasing protectionist sentiment in the U.S.? And what about China? Will a Biden administration be able to free Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor? Joining me now for the first time on the West Block is U.S. Charge d'Affaires, Catherine Brucker. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mercedes. It's really a pleasure to be here today. A big week for America, a brand new president, a very different kind of mandate, a focus on COVID-19. Uh, we were saying in that introduction, a lot of people celebrating that. But for some Canadians, a very disappointing first day of the administration uh, with President Biden cancelling the Keystone XL pipeline. Do you think that there is any chance that the United States would reconsider that? Well, it's important to know that this is a presidential decision based on a larger climate agenda. Uh, it's very important for us. The president has said that uh, the world faces a uh, climate in crisis, and he is looking to be bold on climate. Uh, certainly, we want to remain involved with Canada on energy trade and addressing climate change and environmental protection. And here I'd note one of the really important things that he also announced his first day in office was that, can that the United States was going to rejoin the Paris Climate uh, Agreement. And so we really look forward to working with Canada there. Canada is already obviously a signatory to the Paris Climate Agreement. And to show really our uh, determination to be big on climate, you're certainly aware that the president has named a special envoy on climate, our former Secretary of State, John Kerry. When it comes to Canada-U.S. relations, one of the other promises that President Biden has made is buy America. And if we're hearing uh, this is how he feels about pipelines, that it's American interests and promises first, which, of course, is his prerogative as the American president. Uh, but do Canadian companies need to be worried that they're going to be caught up and excluded in that buy America agenda? Well, I think it's important to understand that Buy America, as it exists right now, is very specifically designed or very specifically refers to government procurement. And Canada, as a signatory to the government procurement agreement, is uh, par allowed to participate in U.S. government procurements. Now, most American and Canadian citizens were really interested in consumer goods. And so 
Here, I think you can't really talk about Buy America unless you're also talking about Buy North America. Our uh, supply chains are obviously very integrated. And one of my colleagues likes to talk about his Ford truck, which he says with all the parts and labor and technology that went into it, it probably cost the border in various pieces parts about 20 times before he actually bought it. So I think our integrated supply chains are here to stay. Speaking of crossing the border, President Biden bringing in a, a two-week quarantine for anybody entering the United States, and they'll have to show a negative COVID test first. Of course, there are still a lot of Canadians going to the U.S., despite the official closure of the land border. Can you tell us what President Biden's initiative will mean for Canadians? Well, I think it's going to mean very much what it means for Americans coming into Canada. Um, we have to quarantine for two weeks upon arrival here, which we all do. And we are still um, getting more information from Washington on this. But clearly, the president has made combating the uh, COVID-19 pandemic a priority. Uh, he's issued executive orders about wearing masks in public places, wearing masks in federal buildings. He's taking it very seriously. And this is, I think, part of the global effort that the United States and Canada are already very much involved together um, on, on combating COVID-19. Uh, and then looking forward to the day when that we all want when our border can be reopened and normal travel can resume. One of the biggest issues for Canadians, of course, in the Canada-U.S. relationship is the extradition request for Meng Wanzhou and the detention of the two Michaels in China. Is this something that's even on the Biden administration's radar screen? Oh, it's absolutely on the radar screen. China is a very important issue. And here I would like to say uh, you, we absolutely uh, oppose the detention of the two Michaels. It's unconscionable. We are firmly against uh arbitrary detention and coercive diplomacy. We've joined Canada in calling for their immediate release. And I think you can count on the United States to continue to work with Canada to secure the release of the two Michaels. Okay, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to have you back again soon. Thank you, Mercedes. It was a pleasure. Have a great day. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Thanks for listening to The West Block.